if Jesus could be down and the Apostle Paul, being the great man of God that he was, if they could be so emotionally low, then you and I certainly are not exempt from being downcast and being depressed. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, most of us feel anxious or depressed at times. Maybe we lost a job or a loved one. Any difficult situation can give us a case of the blues. But sometimes these feelings come to us every day and can actually make it hard for us to function. For those of us who have these feelings, but the feelings have no physiological basis, God's Word can help us get out of what John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress called the slough of despond. In other words, the swamp of despair. Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we are continuing our study of Psalm 42, the battle against depression. Some of the old spirituals from the days of slavery remind me of some of the psalms. It's remarkable how David and other psalmists could go to God and pour out their anguish at the start of the psalm and then conclude it with joy. One version of the old song, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen, begins like this, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Been Through. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, hallelujah. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 42 now as Pastor Steve begins today's lesson. One of the great things about music is that it takes on so many different forms. And one of those forms is known as blues music. Because originally, blues music articulated in song, The Blue Moods, many African-Americans were feeling as they were forced to endure great hardship and injustice. In his commentary on the Psalms, author Ray Steadman explains what American blues music was all about. He writes, it was sorrowful, soulful music that bemoaned the misery and injustice of life. It was music about hard times and harsh realities. Many preachers condemned it as the devil's music and warned their parishioners to avoid the roadhouses and juke joints where it was played. Yet the blues dealt with real emotions and real human struggles, broken hearts, broken dreams, broken lives. Blues music gave voice to the pain of the African-American experience during a time of great poverty and injustice. Now, although the blues music as an official type of music originated in the Mississippi Delta region in the late 1800s, the Bible has its own version of blues music. See, all of the psalms are poems put to, to music, and some of these songs were written by men while they were experiencing the blues. With one of those biblical blues music psalms being Psalm 42. So I invite you to turn to that great psalm. Now, last session, we began to study this psalm. And what we discovered is that it was written by an unnamed man who only identified himself as one of the sons of Korah. We read that in the inscription above the psalm. One of the sons of a man named Korah. However, what he tells us about himself in this psalm reveals a great deal about his emotional state at the time that he wrote Psalm 42. In these verses, he tells us that he was in a state of what we would call great depression, extremely downcast. Four times in this psalm, as well as in Psalm 43, which as I told you last week, appears to have been originally written as one unit 
He says that he was in despair. He says it in verse 5. He says it in verse 6. He says it in verse 11. He says it in Psalm 43, verse 5. Pretty much the same thing, which is this. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Now, in addition, he tells us that his feelings of despair left him weeping day and night. And he had no appetite. He had no appetite, lost his desire for food. In verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? He explains also that he feels so overwhelmed by his problems that he compares what he's going through to that of, of drowning as waves upon waves of water swept over him. Verse 7, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. Now, whoever the writer of this psalm was, he was clearly a man who was depressed. And in his psalm is really a form, as I said, of biblical blues music. But unlike traditional American blues music, the psalmist wrote this psalm not simply to, to tell us, to express his raw emotional hurt, the, the raw emotions of his soul, but the psalmist wrote us to tell us not so much about himself, but to help us in our depression. He wrote to teach us how to respond when we're down, when we find ourselves depressed and in the dumps. You see, as I pointed out to you last session, the inscription above the psalm says that this is a maskil. That's a Hebrew word, which means to teach or to instruct. So this son of of Korah wrote Psalm 42 in order, this was his purpose, to teach us. And what he teaches us is how to battle against depression when it hits us. Using himself as an illustration, he teaches us how to fight depression. You you see, folks, the message of this psalm is not that its author was merely going through depression, but that he was battling his depression. He was fighting it. He was resisting it. He was refusing to give in to it. Instead of sitting back, feeling sorry for himself, instead of having a big pity party, he attacks his depression. He attacks it. And so the point of this psalm, the purpose of this psalm, the message, the theme of this psalm is to instruct us and all of God's people in every generation on how to fight depression when it gets hold of you. When you find yourself emotionally crushed and just sunken in spirit. And the reason God inspired such a psalm as this is because he knows how weak and how feeble we are and therefore how prone we are to becoming depressed over the difficult circumstances of our lives. And so he gave us this psalm to instruct us and to guide us on how to fight these feelings of gloom and despair when they come upon us, and they will come upon us. They come upon everyone, even the most spiritually mature of us. Last session, I mentioned to you about certain well-known figures in church history who have been honest enough to admit that they have been depressed, Charles Spurgeon and John Henry Jowett and William Cowper, honest men to admit their struggles with depression. And it may surprise you to know that even the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as the great Apostle Paul, went through times of being emotionally down so that they suffered at least a form 
of depression. For example, as Jesus is about to face death and the incomprehensible agony of being made a sin offering, he describes what he is feeling. He says this, and I quote, he tells us that his soul is becoming troubled and being deeply grieved. His soul is becoming troubled and being deeply grieved. That's precisely the sorrow that one feels when they are depressed. And the Apostle Paul is even more direct, even more explicit about his downcast emotional state. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 7 that there was a time in his life when he was emotionally down. That's what the the Greek word means. We were translated depressed. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, meaning himself, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now here, as I said, Paul explicitly states that he was depressed. He was down. And he says, but God comforted me by the coming of Titus. Why? Because Titus gave him a good report that the Corinthians had repented of their sin. Now, if Jesus being not only God but man, if Jesus could be down and the Apostle Paul being the great man of God that he was, if they could be so emotionally low, then you and I certainly are not exempt from being downcast and being depressed. That's why Psalm 42 is so important and so relevant because it teaches us what to do when we do fall into despair. But more than that, it gives us hope. Hope. Hope to come out of these feelings of despair. And the way Psalm 42 does this, the way this man structured the psalm, is that he gave us a series of three statements in which he repeats himself and says essentially the same thing, which is his remedy his inspired remedy, his cure for depression. He says it in verse 5, verse 11, Psalm 43, verse 5. That's his cure, which we looked at last session. We'll look at it again this week. And between each of these remedial statements for being so downcast, he states the various reasons why he was in such a depressed state. Listen closely, because this is important. The fact that the psalmist states the remedy to his depression three times, three times, tells us something very significant about depression. It tells us that there is no instant cure to depression. There is no immediate antidote to the blues because it took this man some time to find his way out of his downcast state as he struggles to work through all that that, that he was going through. But in his struggles... What he does is he offers us great hope because at the end of the day, when the psalm closes, he's still offering the same remedy, which tells us that he was confident that the way to have victory over his depression, that there is that way and that he would eventually have this victory. He tells us there is victory. This is the way. I'm not changing my approach. This is the right approach. You see, no matter how bad he feels, no matter how emotionally down he is, he keeps coming back to the one truth, the same truth that he knows will bring him through this dark night of his soul. It was his hope in God. It was his faith in God. 
that God would deliver him from his troubling circumstances so that instead of being in despair as he was now, he was certain that one day he would be praising God again in Jerusalem at the temple leading the people in worship, just like he used to do. Verse 5, verse 11, verse 5 of the next psalm, he says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Now, last session, we only had time to look at the first series of statements about the reasons for this man's depression and the remedy for his depression. But I want us to look at it again because it's foundational to an understanding of this psalm. So let's look at it again, remind ourselves, and go perhaps even a little deeper in all of this. He starts out in verses 1 through 4 by saying, As the deer pants for the water brooks, So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Now, in these opening verses, this man tells us how he was feeling, and he tells us why he was feeling this way. He tells us that he felt spiritually barren and dry. He's got nothing. He's, He's empty. Therefore, there was this great longing in his soul for intimacy with God, which he apparently has not experienced for some time. He compares his desire to engage in a close relationship with the Lord to that of a, of a thirsty deer who pants for some water from a cool mountain stream. The reason that the psalmist was feeling this tremendous thirst, this tremendous longing for God was because he had been physically abducted and he was forced to leave the city that he loved, Jerusalem, where he had once been a professional musician and worship leader in the temple. And I say that because we went back in the Old Testament last week and saw that that's what the sons of Korah did. They were professional musicians. They were Levites. And so they were professional musicians in the temple area. And apparently this, this is the man who, who led the throng of people when they came to Jerusalem for the feasts. He would lead them in singing and joyfulness through the streets of Jerusalem, ascending to the temple area. But all that, he tells us, is a thing of the past. Those happy days are gone because he's been taken captive by some pagans who are unnamed, but they're not Jewish because they question the character of God. But they had removed him from his ministry. They had removed him from the work that he loved. They had removed him from the temple. They had removed him from Jerusalem. So as far as he was, he was concerned, they had removed him from God. And it left him brokenhearted and despondent, so much so that all he could do was just weep now. And as I told you before, he says, I weep all day, I weep all night, and I have no desire for food. And what added to his sorrow was that these men who had taken him captive, they were taunting him, mocking him, scoffing him, and really mocking his God. They were asking him, where is your God? If he's so great, why hasn't he rescued you? But he had no answer for these taunts, and that only added, that only compounded his depression. 
See, this man's entire life has just been turned upside down. He feels away from God, away from the city he loves, away from the work that he loves, and he doesn't know why any of this has happened to him. He doesn't understand what God is doing in his life. He doesn't understand what's going on. He has no answer for those who who taunt and, and mock the Lord. And so it's left him depressed. He's broken heart. He just won't stop crying. But listen closely, because while this man doesn't understand what's going on, and he has no answer to his taunting enemies as to why God would let this happen to him, he does know that his only hope for coming out of this depression is to have faith in God. And so in verse 5, after telling us these various reasons for why he is so down, he states the remedy, the cure to his depression. Why are you in despair, verse 5? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Now, I can't stress enough that what the psalmist is telling us here is that the way to get out of depression is to become aggressive and talk to yourself by telling yourself the truth. That's what this man does. You see, by asking himself the question, why are you in despair? What he's actually doing is rebuking himself. He's rebuking himself for being in despair because he knows the truth. He knows that he doesn't have to be so down. He doesn't have to be depressed. And the reason he he doesn't need to be depressed is because regardless of how horrible his circumstances are, he knows the truth about God. He has a relationship with God. He knows who the Lord is, that God is in his life, and therefore he answers his own question by exhorting himself to hope in God because knowing who God is and knowing that God will help him by restoring him once again to his place of leading in the public worship at the temple, he can come out of this. He knows that. Now, folks, here's the principle. If you want to get out of depression, you've got to be tough on yourself. You've got to get tough with yourself. You cannot be passive in depression. You have to get aggressive by refusing to listen to yourself, think and talk negatively and falsely about all your problems. Instead of listening to all of your woes, you've got to start talking to yourself. And what you have to tell yourself is the truth, the truth about God. How do you know the truth about God? Well, he tells us in his word. You know the truth about God, that he is bigger than your problems, that he loves you, that he has your best interests at heart, and that he will not forsake you, but will do what he deems necessary in your life for your good and for his glory. You know that about God. Let me just back up for a moment and say that while the psalmist gives us his own reasons for being so down, He doesn't give us an exhaustive list of why people fall into depression. So let me give you some other reasons why people get depressed. Once again, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's a little bit more expansive. Some people, just by their temperament, are more open to being depressed than others. They have what we call a melancholy type temperament and doesn't take much for them to fall into depression. That's just the way they're, they're wired. So some people get depressed more easily than others because of their temperament. Some may find themselves depressed over sudden and abrupt 
changes in their lives, especially if they were taken out of their familiar comfort zones, and it only gets harder the older you get to have these changes. Depression can also come by way of of physical problems. I mentioned about Charles Spurgeon being depressed. Very likely, Spurgeon's depression was related to the attack of gout that he had. He suffered greatly from gout, and probably uh, that was what killed him as a relatively young man. So sometimes physical problems can be related. Depression can be related to physical problems. Sometimes it's just a lack of sleep that contributes greatly to depression so that when you are tired, you cannot think clearly. Interestingly, sometimes we may find ourselves depressed after some great spiritual victory or some wonderful accomplishment, something great that's happened in our lives. Because why? After that, you often become emotionally drained. And when you are emotionally drained, everything seems bigger than it really is. And you have a hard time coping with anything. And you're very vulnerable at that point to depression. One illustration of this in the Bible is the prophet Elijah, who had no problem standing up to the hundreds of prophets of Baal. No problem with that. But right after that, one woman, Jezebel, said, I'm going to kill you. And the man runs for his life. And he's telling God that he wants to die. Well, this is a man who's depressed because of being emotionally drained from this great victory over the false prophet's of Baal. However, one of the main reasons we fall into depression is because we believe the lies of Satan, especially his lies about God. You know, Jesus said the devil is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. There is no truth in him. We believe the lies of the devil, especially his lies about God, that he doesn't love you, he's not interested in you, that doesn't pay to obey him and do what's right because you've tried that in the past and look what's happened, all that stuff. Listen, instead of listening to what God says and believing the Lord, we tend to listen to Satan's evil lies. In fact, I'm convinced that most of the thoughts running through our heads when we are depressed, those thoughts, I'm convinced, don't originate with us but come from Satan himself. Therefore, when the psalmist says, as his remedy to to his own depression, that he isn't going to listen to himself anymore, what he's really saying, and it's that he's not going to listen to the devil anymore. Now, he didn't necessarily articulate that, but in the the wide spectrum of, of Scripture, that is the point. Instead, he says he's going to look to God and he's going to believe God. Concerning listening to Satan instead of having faith in God, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his great book entitled Spiritual Depression, wrote these words. He said, the ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief. For if it were not for unbelief, even the devil could do nothing. It is because we listen to the devil instead of listening to God that we go down before him and fall before his attacks. This is why this psalmist keeps saying to himself, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. He reminds himself of God. Why? because he was depressed and had forgotten God, so that his faith and his belief in God and in God's power and in his relationship to God were not what they ought to be. Listen, this is what Paul called the shield of faith in Ephesians 6, which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. In spite of the great Bible promises, including Paul's reminder that all things work together for good to those who love God, In spite of the glorious future John described for us in the closing chapters of Revelation, 
we still tend to take our eyes off Jesus and forget that God is far greater than the waves of despair that want to overwhelm us. The old hymn says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You've been listening to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. You can find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com or by calling 727-441-1714. That's also the number to call if you'd like a free CD with the entire message we started today. That is 727-441-1714. If you'd like to download an MP3 file with today's broadcast or any previous one, go to versebyverseradio.org and click the Message Archive link. That's versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. I mentioned earlier Romans 8.28, which reminds us that everything that happens to those who follow Christ is for his or her good. In light of that, can actual evil befall a true Christian? Unpleasantness and even pain often come our way. But is that evil? As Joseph told his brothers, we can say to Satan, You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Pastor Steve will develop that thought on the next verse by verse.